if you're going to make hardware, chances are you're not going to crank out a new product every three months. So it doesn't make sense to have full-time personnel. Welcome to the Global from Asia podcast, where the daunting process of running an international business is broken down into straight-up, actionable advice. And now, your host, Michael Michelini. Today's podcast is brought to you by Aurelia Pay. I use them personally for sending money to my Chinese suppliers from Hong Kong. It's a cross-border payment solution between China, Hong Kong, and Southeast Asia. So when I need to make a payment to a Chinese supplier, I just hop online to place the remittance, pay to the Aurelia Pay's Hong Kong-based bank account, and Aurelia Pay will settle RMB within the same business day. So check them out online at www.aureliapay.com, A-U-R-E-L-I-A-P-A-Y.com, or check them out linked on our show notes. All right, everybody, thank you for tuning in to another Global From Asia, episode 189. Close to the number 200 is coming really close. So, thank you everybody for tuning in. And it is midsummer and things have been happening here. And I want to introduce right off the bat Angelica. She's our new community manager for the Global From Asia VIP program or GFA VIP. And she's also going to be starting a new members series as well, talking to featuring some members on our blog. So, thanks for joining, Angelica. And how are you? Yeah, Mike. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction. I'm doing good. So yeah, as uh, Mike mentioned, I'm the new uh, Global from Asia VIP Community Manager. And um, basically what I'm doing is I'll be helping mainly with the VIP members. And um, I'll be also helping with the um, websites, platforms, and to work with the, th- with the team and to make everything work. So, um, yeah, we're currently working on a new member series uh, column on the website. And basically on that series, we will be um, showcasing members. Um, We'll be sharing their stories and their business and to learn more about the program and, you know, how Global from Asia VIP can help them more. Exactly. So it's exciting. I mean, we we when when we we started talking, I I felt like this was a perfect thing for you, and I'm I'm really excited to see this progress. And we will we will keep people updated about the new member series as it develops. Another cool development is I have had a really tough time deciding our business partners for this new e-commerce venture and e-commerce gladiator TV show is coming, and we will wait till. Mm-hmm. We'll wait till then to announce the partners. Some people are calling it winners, but the partners. And there's some great applications, uh, great people, great business owners, entrepreneurs that couldn't, I just couldn't make a make it fit this time. So we were talking about it. And actually, some of the applicants were like, Mike, Mike, I still am going to do my Amazon business. I still am looking for a business partner. I want to find a mm-hmm. business partner for my Amazon business. I want to, you know, one guy's, a, you know, uh, got some investment money and not so much time. Some people have time but not investment money or, or they don't have the marketing experience. So what we decided to do is we're going to hook up all the applicants. There's about 15 applicants with one year of GFA VIP membership. So that gives them plenty of time. So some of them are already ready and waiting to introduce themselves. I could, we could even put their application in there in the private forum, so that because they don't want mm-hmm. it to be publicly for everybody. So we can put that in the forum, mm-hmm. and uh, and then you and me can try to help connect these guys. What do you think, Angelica? 
Yeah, actually, we can like connect them through our um, private form on the website so that, you know, they can uh, get to know each other and engage with each other first and also to promote the website's form. Exactly. So you also have an email, a dedicated email for members. It's You want to tell people your email? Yeah, um, they can always like email ask if they have questions. It's vip at globalfromasia.com. All right. And some fun stuff for everybody. Everybody likes my fun updates. I got the kids, you know, taking the fam to <laughs> the Chinese fam to the Chinese beaches. I see. <laughs> I feel like every summer I joke on this podcast about going to these Chinese beaches. I don't think you've been to the Chinese beaches, have you, Angelica? Um, no. <laughs> but if I've seen the pictures, it's uh, it's it's true. It's like that. I even put it on my video blogs. Basically, it's uh, it's it's just insane packed traffic there, and then it's jam packed, and there's like those yellow duck. Uh, floating things everywhere <laughs> and I, I, I've really learned to be zen and uh, meditate to just get stepped on and crushed so that's where I'll be. How, how are you Angelica? How are beaches in the Philippines? Well, the beaches here in the Philippines is actually good um, especially like in uh, as we all know Boracay, the, yeah. the most popular <laughs> beach here it's Boracay and also in Palawan we also have nice uh, beaches there. A lot of um, good uh, um, site to visit. So yeah. All right, all right. So let's talk about this week's show. So this week we have Daniel Pong. He is. I met him at the Rise Conference in Hong Kong last month, and we did a podcast on the spot. There is right in the media booth. So Gary V is walking by. And we were doing podcast interviews. This time we're talking about Taiwan manufacturing. He's got a cool hardware product that he's a smart dude. He worked at uh, he worked with uh, you know between Foxconn and Apple and mass production before, and he did his own his own crowdfunding campaigns multiple times. So he's Taiwanese American, and he is got tons of value here. He's given me insights about how he makes his PCBs in Taiwan. He does his assembly in mainland China. He ships to America. He's got distribution sales channels in America. He just drops tons of value, tons of information. So it's going to be a great episode, episode 189. Also, if you want to get any of these links and, and show notes, as always, they're at globalfromasia.com slash episode 189. All right, Angelica, are you ready for the show? Yeah. All right, let's do it. All right, thank you everybody. Live from the Rise Conference here in 2017, we have with us Daniel Wang. Wang, yes. Wang. Usually, it's, isn't it Wang? It's actually W E N G. Yeah. Which is uh, in Mandarin is Wang. Yeah. And in Cantonese, it would actually be Yang. Oh, I see. Yang in Cantonese. My wife's name is Wang, and uh, it's it's uh, King. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so we're great. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show today for Global From Asia. And you, you're definitely a hustler. I met you at the startup Taiwan booth. You're kind of like under that umbrella yes. of, of products and startups there. So can you, uh, introduce your product to our listeners? Well, thank you for having me. Once again, my name is Daniel. I am the founder of Tricella. And what we first created was a smart pillbox to pretty much solve for the adherence problem um, in the U.S. market alone. The adherence problem is about a $300 billion problem that's 
avoidable to the healthcare system because when people don't take their pills, uh, their disease progresses and they have to be re become rehospitalized or their treatments need to be uh, up upped a little bit depending on uh, which disease state they have. So about 70% of all patients do not take their prescriptions as pres prescribed. So we created a pillbox with sensors in each of the compartments that could detect if a person opened it or not. So let's say today's 8 o'clock, and uh, the user will get a reminder. But cool. for every 15 minutes, the user themselves would get a reminder. And at the one-hour mark, let's say if my mom doesn't take her pills at 9, I will get a notification as well. So we really designed this to uh, drive adherence rates sure. by leveraging the user's most intimate social network, which is their friends and family, usually very close family members. Yeah, I like it. So it's a mix of hardware, software. Yes. Um, and also I was interested in your background. You'd worked in Foxconn before. Yes, I was the former North uh, America business development head for the mobile group where I uh, spearheaded new commercial channels. So it was, what it meant was, you know, most people know Foxconn for building the Apple products, Nokia and Motorola. Uh, we wanted to expand our portfolio to a, a broader market. So I spearheaded the BlackBerry account, which I was expat to Waterloo for about a year and a half. And um, following my success in expanding that account, I was relocated back to California where I'm from to spearhead Amazon, Google, Microsoft, uh, Cisco, NVIDIA, and also look and source deals for the venture arm of Foxconn in new technologies. Very cool. So yeah, you're definitely a networker, huh? <laughs> That's great. Yeah, just hustler. Hustler, I like it, yeah. So then about the... Yeah, Foxconn. A lot of people. Some people still don't know that Apple is. You know, all their products are made. They're you know made by you know uh, by Foxconn. I remember I was in the iPhone four. I think was a really crazy time. That there was like sold out all the time. That in 2010, was, 2011, or something like that. Yeah, that was a very challenging phone to manufacture. Um, so CNCs are they work very well when you're trying to machine a softer material like aluminum. But the iPhone 4 has a stainless steel frame, and not only is it hard to machine, uh, stainless steel tends to have a lot of high internal strength. So once you get the shape cut from the CNC machine, it could potentially warp two days later. Huh. So a lot of times when we ship the material to the assembly site, we might actually be shipping something out of spec. And we don't know until two days later. So there, there was a lot of trial and error. I mean, Foxconn and Apple, all hands were on deck to increase yield rates on that. So that's why, you know, from time to time there was a shortage. And also, it was pretty much the first phone in the industry to use front and back glass. Mm. Yeah, that was, I, I remember those days. And uh, also, I was in China and people were smuggling it back into China yes. to sell it because yes. it was such a price difference and yeah. supply it, difference. It, it was definitely a status symbol, too. It, it is. You know, the haves and the have-nots. If you didn't have iPhone back then, you know, you, you definitely had iPhone envy. Exactly. Well, back to your product. Uh, I was also, we were chatting earlier before the interview. So maybe your relationship with Startups uh, Stadium with the Taiwan and, uh, and your San Francisco, you go between San Francisco and Taiwan? Yes. So uh, we're headquartered in Mountain View, California. We do our design, uh, marketing, and business strategy there. 
we do our software development in Taiwan because there's such an immense amount of engineering resources in Taiwan. A matter of fact, Taiwanese people, uh, a lot of them have college degrees per capita. It's a, it's a much better ratio than many other countries. And Taiwan is it's known for manufacturing excellence. However, uh, a lot of people don't aren't aware that the software engineer talent pool is is pretty significant. And um, so that's why I wanted to be a part of uh, Taiwan Startup Stadium's uh, efforts to drive that awareness to the global market. What we're really trying to do is to bring more international startups to incorporate in Taiwan and kind of infect the talent pool there in a very positive way to teach them a different methodology of how to do software, how do you think about it, the logic behind it, and the architecture of software Very to, cool. to drive innovation in Taiwan beyond manufacturing. Yeah, I like it. I mean, I've been talking to Holly. I've seen, I've been to the last few Rise conferences as well, and I've seen the Startup Stadium develop and grow. It's getting bigger every year. Yeah. So that's awesome. And I'm trying to also at this podcast to interview more Taiwanese startups and to scene more. So I'm excited to hear about the software there. I still have yet to go to Taiwan, uh, but I, I think it's also a reasonable cost, right? It is. The cost of living there is extremely manageable, and it, I think um, one of the media outlets listed Taiwan as the second safest place in the world. Wow. When you go there, it's amazing. You could go to a restaurant, leave your iPhone on the table, go to and use the restroom, and not think twice about it. Wow! And you you see a lot of women, uh, young women, and children walking around late at night by themselves sometimes, and there's no sense of threat. It's a very safe place. It's a place where people are responsible for each. For themselves, it's almost like social governance. Yeah, but very warm. Nice. Um, so let's maybe talk about the software side. I'm interested to hear. So you have your software for your your app is made in Taiwan. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, through through your founding team, or is it through full time staff, freelancers? So it's a full time staff. Uh, Tricella. I'm actually a single founder startup. Oh, you are okay. Yeah. And. Uh, I'm curious about I ranges of salaries for compensating somebody a developer in Taiwan. Yeah, so the the salary rate there is is astronomically lower than it is in Silicon Valley and for startups that are trying to scale, it makes a lot of sense to start building out a team in Taiwan because the quality of engineers are great. Um yet it provides you a much longer runway. Agreed. So then the costs are uh, are less, would you say, less in Silicon Valley? Would you say it's, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Hong Kong or other markets. Would- so I'm not too familiar with the Hong Kong market, um, but I'd imagine there are probably more developers in Taiwan because Taiwan is a very engineer-driven and country, whereas Hong Kong tends to be more financial-driven. Okay, yeah, I think... I would agree, even though I haven't been there. But yeah, it's definitely hard to find talent in a developer, technical talent in Hong Kong. I know that's been a pain point here for quite some time. The other, probably, uh, maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but the cool thing I've heard, you know, in, especially in China, these big companies are just hiring all the developers yes. from uh, each other. Is there as fierce a competition for people there, or do you think they're more stable, the developers? The competition is definitely fierce in Taiwan as well. Oh, really? Okay. But, um, you know, a lot of people are more mission-driven. 
they have their personal mission. So they might not want to join a conglomerate because they want to have either work on something that resonates more with themselves or they want more responsibilities instead of working for a conglomerate where they're uh, pigeonholed into a very specific task. They want to be able to take on more so they can grow professionally nice. and feel a larger sense of accomplishment. So that's also a very unique uh, part of the Taiwanese culture. That's cool. Yeah, some other some other markets, it's harder to get the technical guys to jump into a startup or a newer, take a bigger risk. So that's pretty awesome. Would you, uh, well, me going into the hardware side, uh, so your PCBs are made for your for your product is made in Taiwan. Yeah. So for PCBA, we have it done in Xinzhou, Taiwan, and the ODM support there is just phenomenal. Awesome. So uh, I decided to to keep PCBA done in in Taiwan because that's the more technical aspect. The injection molding, final assembly, and pack out is done in Dongguan, China. Yep. Which. Uh, we feel is more abundant in resources in that regards, as well as a, a lot more competitive with cost. Very cool. So yeah, I mean, we—I know we just met, but we dive deep with the show. So we, I think listeners are, are manufacturing in China, and I think we'll talk. Probably the focus of today's show is about Taiwan or importing into China, final assembly. So you, you—I forgot the name of the city or region in Taiwan. You're getting your PCBA, but you have it made there. Uh, on order, and then yes, yeah. So I haven't made it there on order in Xinzhou, which is about um, twenty minutes south of the Taoyuan International Airport. Okay. So logistics is extremely uh, efficient, and because of the Taiwan's na- uh, natural geography, it's an island. So to get it to the docks isn't a challenge either. Nice. So we can ship it by sea to lower cost if we have a more accurate forecast in a larger batch. But for uh, just-in-time manufacturing, it is right next to the airport. Yeah, you can't cool. get any better than that. And Taoyuan City itself, which is where the airport's located, uh, has a lot of PCB suppliers. So the supply chain in Taiwan is already de-risked. There's multiple suppliers for each component. Okay, and... So is that is that a choice you did? Is that an economical choice? Is that a quality choice? Is that a common industry choice of having the? I mean, I think a lot of people, you know, I think of Taiwan, Japan, or uh, as like making the, the the internal parts of the electronics. Is that something common in an industry? Still? It's actually quite common for more complex types of products or new categories. They would do what we call NPI, which is New Product Introduction in Taiwan. Because that's where a lot of the more talented uh, product development team is in these large manufacturing plants are are located. So uh, even a lot of the tier one customers, unfortunately, I can't name who. Sure. Uh, they would do the first few MPI runs in Taiwan and then copy the line in China when they're ready to go full scale production. Ah, uh, so that's that seems like it makes sense. Um, I did a product with a PCB design. I had it designed in China. Uh, I forget the name of the software, but yeah, you had to get the PCB design, so you had to custom, you had to also design, how yeah. did you go about, I mean, I guess you have so much experience, but so maybe you can give some listeners some ideas a little bit about it. So what I would recommend is, you know, you, you try to leverage external resources as much as possible so you can uh, control your fixed costs. Variable costs is, it, it doesn't last forever, right? So 
if you're going to make hardware, chances are you're not going to crank out a new product every three months. So it doesn't make sense to have uh, full-time personnel on board just for that three months worth, you know, worth of development work for PCB. Because to do PCB layout, it'd probably be, I'd say, about three months back and forth. It makes better sense to work with a manufacturer that has a product development team and you know whatever they design will most likely be a lot more manufacturable than any internal team even the tier one customers of the world um, they rely heavily on the factories to validate the designs and also provide feedback to see if it is manufacturable or if the cost to manufacture something like that based on that design is too high. Okay. Yeah, I agree. I mean, would you use a third, well, you still probably should have a third party. Would you have a factory actually make the design? Some people are you know, a little bit paranoid to give their, have their dis- factories control too much of the IP. Would you have that done at the factory, you think? Or should that be done by like a third party like expert or firm? So... I generally recommend for startups, especially because it's going to be low volume uh, runs. Uh, you should just go with a factory that has a development capability in house. Because if you use a third party, then you're adding another variable, a lot of finger pointing. Mm. And, you know, the, how do you know the design house knows what they're doing unless you've worked with them before? Mm. Right. And that, that is just an unnecessary stress and bandwidth that takes away from the core competence of the startup. I mean, the startup should focus on innovation and also driving business. Yep, agreed. All right, so let's talk some more about this uh, leveraging Taiwan PCB, and then you ship it by air 20 minutes from the airport, you know, through a, you know, a freight company uh, courier, or you can put it by ocean, but probably it's pretty lightweight. And yeah, maybe it's, it's extremely lightweight, and that's why we decided to ship the PCB Instead of the plastics and the packaging. Sure. Yeah, it would cost astronomically more if we did pack out in Taiwan. And then you're importing it into China through customs and <clears throat> yes. uh, there's probably some tax. But yes. you might export it and get it back. Or, yeah. yes. So sometimes we get some a portion of it back. <laughs> All right. So then you're shipping it in to get to Dongguan, which a lot of listeners are familiar in, down in the south of China. Pretty close to Shenzhen or the Pearl River Delta, and then you're having these PCBs put into the final assembly. Are you doing that all at the same injection molding facility or final assembly? Yes, we have an amazing partner that nice. does injection molding assembly, and they actually help source the packaging supplier for us. Great. Um, yeah, we have some nice packaging here. Yeah, I'll, I'll put some pictures or we'll link to the video. We'll do some more video too. Yeah, the, the packaging in the US, we got quoted about 60 bucks. Oh. Yeah, and they can't do large production runs. They can only build it by hand, and um, it's just a demo. In Taiwan, we got quoted roughly around thirteen dollars. Mm-hmm. In China, we have it, you know, under three. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's even the name of the show, Global from Asia. It's just the way the world is is gone. Is all the the knowledge and the the volume is in China, so so it's uh, it's possible mm-hmm. and. And uh, so then, yeah, so you get your PCBs in Taiwan, and then you have pretty much everything done in Dongguan at one facility. Yes. Or in any other packaging shipped in there, you had your PCB shipped in there, then you have the injection mold done there and the final assembly done there. Yes. 
Yeah, the the packaging supplier is in Huizhou, which is about an hour fifteen minutes from the Dongguan factory. Yeah, so still relatively close. Cool. And then for you, as as the founder, you're you're spending most of your time on the on the San Francisco or Silicon Valley Mountain View side. Yeah, I'd say it's roughly around a sixty forty split, sixty percent of the time in. The valley and forty percent in Taiwan, but、um, things are about to pick up a little bit more, so it might be forty-five、uh, percent in Taiwan, thirty-five percent in Taiwan, and I, I'm sorry, forty-five percent in San Francisco, thirty-five percent in Taiwan, and the rest of it traveling the rest of the world to develop the other global market. Nice. So then it seems like you're adding more time to your sales side, distribution side. Yes. Of course, it makes sense, right? Your beginning is your product development, your validation.、Um, so, how is how is sales? How is the deve- business developing? Oh, it's going great. So, we launched our product with a strategic partner in the U.S., which is Target. Awesome!、Um, Congrats in April, and it's doing phenomenal. And we're also a direct vendor of Amazon.com as well. Okay. So, we're getting ready to relaunch with a fresh, new redesign of our app in、nice. the global market. So we're going to work with、um, a lot of premium Apple resellers in the JPAC region, and we're also getting ready to move into Australia as well. JPAC,、uh, I'm thinking Japan, Pacific? Japan Pacific, Pacific Asia countries. Okay.、Yes. I always think of APAC, but that's,、yeah. is it the same? Or you- I, I don't. <clears throat> I think it would be APAC, but because、um, I've worked with Apple so much in the past,、oh, right. they called it JPAC, and、oh, it just kind of stuck in my head. But、nice. yeah, I guess the right term should be APAC. Great. So it sounds so. You're making it sound so easy. <laughs> I, I know some listeners are. We've also had some people on the show that have had a lot of struggles.、Uh, well, I think you also have the advantage of working in Foxconn and、yes. having some I-、yeah. I- I- ideas of this supply chain. So our listeners, you know, we have a lot of people doing crowdfunding campaigns. A lot of people doing Amazon FBA. They're trying to make their own brands, own products.、Mm, well, what are some of your tips, like for for some new newbies to man, you know custom manufacturing? So、um, you, you know, you had just mentioned Kickstarter.、Yeah. I actually had two successful Kickstarter campaigns for startup one. This is at, Tricella is actually startup two. Okay.、Uh, my recommendation is if you think you can raise the funds. To create a consumer electronic device strictly through Kickstarter,、um, you're you're in for a surprise.、Oh. Unless you have the internal capabilities, the NRE, which is non-recurring engineering charges, is extremely high.、Yeah. Whatever you raise on Kickstarter will probably just barely cover that. That which includes tooling. Yeah. So I think、um, Kickstarter is a great platform to pump the. The gas on marketing and to drive awareness, but if you need that Kickstarter funding to start,、uh, you might want to think twice. Got it. What if you just padded your margins, but your price? You could put up a, you know, a lot of times. I was at a. Sounds strange, but I was in a. I think it was. I can't remember what session I was in, to be honest. But you know, I think there's a different product life cycle. So a lot of times people say, "Oh, the price is like." I don't know retail yours, yours, but of course, the earlier stage、uh, in in a new product is a really high margin. You don't think you can margin that? Actually, it's it's quite opposite.、Um, when you first launch a product, your volume is not that great, and you're working with a new supplier. They don't know exactly how many 
units you're going to sell, and you'll reorder through them to manufacture. So your cost is naturally going to be higher for the first few batches. So inherently, your margin is going to be significantly less. Well, wouldn't you be able to? Well, what I mean is, your retail price could be higher at the beginning, and then you like lower your retail price. Yeah, MSRP or it depends on what type of product you're making, what kind of audience you're trying to sell to. Because just because your your cost is thirty dollars. Um, and generally, rule of thumb is if you're doing consumer electronics, your your retail price should be five times your build of material price. Mm-hmm. And just because your cost is thirty dollars doesn't mean this product can really sell for hundred fifty. It is true. So then, some people are probably a little bit confused. So then, there a lot of people are like you know. I actually know. I'm. I agree with you about this Kickstarter. I have a lot of friends that have. Uh, Raise money and not not delivered. Unfortunately, that's about seventy percent of the market. Wow, it's yeah. that high, which is bad for the buyer. I have some products I haven't gotten still, but uh, is is there a way to? So then, what's your solution? Raise money or or have friends, family funds or or savings? I mean, on top of the Kickstarter or or. Um, I'm a huge advocate of go for broke. Okay. So I dumped all my savings to do the startup. Wow. I don't have outside funding. Great. And uh, if you don't quite have the funding to do it, either think, you know, maybe just think twice or start working on developing that network and connection and try to sell manufacturers your vision. Mm. And if they buy into that vision enough, maybe they will help you defer costs. Got it. And you can negotiate terms where you can amortize the development costs, the tooling fees over X amount of units. So get really good at negotiating. Yeah, we've had some others talk about this. Uh, we have some meetups as well. But of course, I assume you speak Mandarin. Yes, that is that's, a must. Yeah, that's yes, probably that, an that, advantage. That right? is um, essentially it's a requirement. Yeah, so I think uh, from our English show, so I think a lot of listeners don't have that that skill. So it might be harder for them to talk to a factory saying, "I got this Kickstarter." Yeah, or this product, can I pay you over? Well, give us an idea of amortization, like what or how people could. So negotiate. Let's, generally, a lot of factories they um the, and what a lot of startup founders that do hardware don't understand. Maybe they came from Apple or something like that. So they would naturally gravitate towards a tier one type of supply chain, mm-hmm. which are used to Huge running a hundred thousand a week. Yeah, you know, not. 5,000 units a year. So going to them, definitely not going to get the level of support that you need to grow as a startup. So you'd have to go with the second or third tier suppliers. It doesn't mean that their quality is worse. It just means their uh, maximum capacity might be a lot smaller. Okay. Um, So with with their MOQ and cost structure being lower, you can probably uh, negotiate, hey, well, how about for the first 10,000 units or 20,000 units, we amortize the cost of tooling into um, those unit costs. So I could spread it out over 20,000 units and mm. one, one year, whichever comes sooner. And if I don't hit 20,000 units within a year, I will pay you the balance for tooling. Oh. Great. Well, that's nice. That's nice to know. I know, well, some people are... So unaware that they actually have the mold built into the price forever. 
Yes. You ever heard of that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's yeah. some people that don't want to pay for the mold, so the price will go up forever, and yes. then they never yes. stop paying the higher yes. price. And and that's why it's very important to always develop a second source and do should-cost modeling, which is you just get a lot of quotes for uh, the same part. If you're way more worried about confidentiality, then you can do like a cost exercise model using um, a different design of a kind of similar part that would require this maybe similar amount of material, whether it's plastic or metal, and just benchmark it and see how roughly how much should this part cost. Okay. Yeah. This is great, man. Um, it's very helpful. I'm, uh, I think it'll help a lot of the, the hardware entrepreneurs today. And getting towards the end here, I what are the next steps for, or actually BOM, BOM? So do you, you probably know your product costs by part. Or do, have you done that? Yeah. So um, I think a lot of people don't even know that they should do that. They just send a factory the product yeah. sample and say how much. But I think there's another negotiating, right? Is yeah. understand the pieces of your product and so you should actually know how much the plastic pellets cost, the raw mm-hmm. material, <laughs> and then um, think about how much weight your product should weigh, and then and then add about maybe fifteen to twenty percent because there's materials. That goes into the injection mold called runners. It's the pathway for the material to flow into your your actual part. Okay. That you have to pay for as well. That's part of the material weight when you do these cost structures. So you break it down by material as well as cycle time. How long will it take each part to come out of the mold? And is there any post-processing? Do I need to paint this thing? Does it need to be sanded? Is there any machining? So you figure out what the machine rates are. And you, based on you know minimum wage, China labor cost, and things of that sort. Very good. I hope we're not scaring listeners too much. I mean, I don't. I guess they'll learn as they go. I mean, at what point does somebody just kind of make the jump? I mean, there's one side where it's, I we tell entrepreneurs just do it, and then there's the other side. It's like how much of this engineering experience should somebody have before they try to do it? Well, I, I feel that um, sometimes cost shouldn't be the main factor of starting a project. Mm. As long as you price it to the point where you're, you are not going to lose too much money or um, you can make a small profit, then go for it. Because you can continue to fine-tune the design or find a better supplier that uh, can offer more competitive pricing over time and then you can increase your margins over time. But the most important thing is to get your product to the market. Yep. So... You know, especially if you're a first mover type of product. Great. Oh, this is awesome, man. We'll, we'll link up the video. We'll, we did a little bit of video. We'll do some more video of your packaging and your product in a second so people listening can watch. Um, and how can people find you online and, and uh, your product? Yeah, so they could find us um, through Target if they're in the U.S. market, as well as our website is www.tricella, that's T-R-I-C-E-L-L-A.com. Great, man. Thanks so much, Daniel. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Daniel. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. seems like we go back and forth with manufacturing and internet marketing and e-commerce. I guess that's what we do. It's just so much amazing. I got so many interviews going. We got the e-commerce series. We got e-commerce gladiator. And we got amazing team. Angelica's doing great. Unfortunately, Claire left. I didn't say that at the beginning. And if you're still listening, she she's still helping part-time. But... Uh, you know, teams evolve and, and, uh, she, I hope still listens to the show. I miss you, Claire. You're awesome. And, you know, she's still working with some of her, her other 
other things she's doing with us. And I'll see her at e-commerce gladiator tonight while the show is published. So everybody, I hope you guys are working towards your dreams. You know, I think it just takes a long time for anybody to realize a dream. Well, if it's worth getting, it's not going to be easy because if it's easy, everybody would get it. So let's all just keep on rocking, keep on pushing and enjoy our lives. Life is short. Do it now. I actually have that domain name. <laughs> Take care, guys. Enjoy your Tuesdays or wherever you are in the world, walking dogs, sipping coffee, driving cars, having kids jump on top of you, wherever you are. Enjoy. Bye-bye. To get more info about running an international business, please visit our website at www.globalfromasia.com. That's www.globalfromasia.com. Also, be sure to subscribe to our iTunes feed. Thanks for tuning in.